Genesis chapter 21. The title today is One's Life Balance. You, you may find it's so true for all of us. Uh, one's life is a balance of highs and lows. From these joys and then sorrows <laughs> that can come so quickly. And from blessings to problems almost instantly. And how quickly that can happen in one's life. And it causes us to be out of balance. Or at least we feel like we're out of balance. And we're constantly thinking, how am I going to get this sense of stability in my life right now? Because there's just these highs and lows. And it's like you've heard me say many times, it's like a roller coaster. And, and some of us don't like roller, roller coasters. Especially the ones that do flips and turns and roll, you know, corkscrews. I mean, those are really tough times in life. We just want to get off the ride, you know. We sometimes refer to that as you lose hope. Or despair at times, those corkscrew moments. <laughs> but at the same time, you, you, there's just tremendous joys that you just can't. You, can we just stay here at this mountaintop experience <laughs> and not come off the mountain? It's just really a good place to be right now in our family. Well, today in our story here, as we continue in the scriptures, we're going to see this played out in the life of Abraham and Sarah. We're going to see one's life balance played out in their lives here. The highs, the lows, the, the joys, the sorrows, the blessings, the problems that can come in one's life. Now, we start here in chapter 21, verse 1. Life's joys and blessings. We see that the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. Now this is a very powerful verse right here. Because it gives us some really concrete um, piece of understanding of who your God is. And that God is faithful. He is worthy to be praised because he is faithful in your life and my life. We see here that the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. If you remember, he's been coming and showing up and speaking to Sarah and Abraham at different times as we've studied. 25 years prior to this, he, God showed up and promised Abraham and Sarah that Sarah would have a Son, 25 years. How many people, how many of you would sit there and hear God say to you, this is going to happen, and you and I expect, okay, when, this afternoon? Tomorrow? Oh, no, I'm very spiritual. I, I can wait a week. 25 years. Before God fulfills the promise that God said to Sarah. But he had promised and he had spoke into their lives and said that it promised a son would be fulfilled in Abraham's life. Not through a surrogate situation. Not through an adoption situation. But actually Abraham's seed... And Sarah's womb would bring about the son that God had promised. And he is faithful to complete that promise. Regardless of how Sarah felt <laughs> and really was thinking and seeing the situation ahead. Remember in previous chapters there in 18 verse 14 or so. You can remember she, the Christophany, Jesus showed up in the flesh with the two angels, remember? <laughs> Abraham's chilling out and, the, and trying to stay cool. It's hot. She's in the tent. And you remember what happened when they were sitting there having a conversation. She wasn't coming out, but she sure had her ear to the tent flap. 
and she laughed inside. How ridiculous that I am going to have a baby at my age. And remember, God called her out on it. Abraham, why, why, why is a woman? Why is, why is you know, Sarah laughing? No, I didn't laugh. No, you laughed. Because it was a laugh of unbelief. It was so ridiculous in her mind because she cannot see how this could ever work out. It was a laughter of unbelief. She obviously really didn't know, really didn't solidify in her, in her mind who God really is. When we're going to have unbelief, you do not factor in God in the situation at hand. You're relying upon your own understanding, your own strength, your own abilities, because when you do that, you do not factor God in it, but God in this situation. And of course you're going to laugh in unbelief. Of course you're just going to pass it off like this is no big deal. But what you have to understand, what we need to understand that God's promises never fail. Never. Because it's based on him. His character. His ability. His strength. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful, all-knowing. And when you understand the characteristic of who God is, then you and I will not have those as many moments of unbelief when we can't see it, how it's all going to play out. But we, all we know is that God had given us a promise, so we're going to hold on to that promise. Because he is faithful to fulfill that promise. In his timing, his way, according to his will. <laughs> That's the challenge, is it not? Sarah really didn't think she should, should have a baby at 90 years old. <laughs> 25 years prior, that would have been just fine. And if you asked her, she would have wanted it 25 years prior to that. <laughs> but it's God's timing. Not our timing. But it's interesting, as we continue here, for Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. At the set time of which God had spoken to him, and Abraham called the name of his son, who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. So we see here, in the very beginning here, we see the fact that, yes, God's promise that he gave them in, in chapter 18 about the response, and they responded by faith, naming him Isaac. They just sit there and by faith, okay, God said to Name him Isaac, okay? We're going to name him Isaac. But then it's interesting. We see also in verse 4 that Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. Because there was a covenant. There was a commandment. If you remember previous chapters, he had to, he had to be circumcised. And every male that was part of his tribe had to be circumcised. So his son is no different. Here he comes, and he's circumcising on the eighth day, just exactly the way God said he was to be done. And he was, by faith, he was obedient to do exactly what God said, under that, according to the covenant. But we also see, now Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac, his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh. And all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. <laughs> As you sit there and you look at these verses, you sit there and you go, This is amazing. But look at the life change in Sarah's life. One of laughter of unbelief of the situation. To now great joy, great blessings. Because now she's finally had a son that she's always wanted. But didn't believe she would ever have. But God had given her a promise by, from his own word that it was going to happen. 
And here we see it played out in his old age um, of Abraham of 100. She was 10 years younger. She was 90 at this point in time. It had been 14 years since the last time they've had some interaction. 25 years from the original promise. There's a lot of testing in time. From the point when God says you're going to do something and it happening is a huge test of time. And there can be a very big roller coaster in one's life. But here she's at the pinnacle of joy and blessings because God is fulfilling the blessings, uh, the promises that he said. And with those blessings and with those promises being fulfilled, immediately by faith, they're filling those, the, the, you know, the commandments. Yes, we're going to name him Isaac. Yes, we're going to get him uh, circumcised. Yes, we're going to praise and honor him because not only am I laughing, but look at Sarah says, God has made me laugh. Now, this is not a laugh of unbelief now. This is a laugh of joy. This is a laugh of joy and blessings that God has poured out on her life. And all who hear will laugh with me. The entire community is going to be blessed through my life. Because they're going to have me a witness of what God miraculously just did through my life. And everyone's going to laugh. This is incredible. Who in the city? Who's walking around while shopping? While in the marketplace, in the center square, or hanging outside the tents of the cool of uh, the warmth of the day, or the nighttime they're sitting by the fire? Is anyone sitting around thinking in the top of their head, oh, Sarah, I can imagine you're going to be breastfeeding here soon. You're going to have a baby and you're going to be actually sitting there and you're going to be nursing a child. No one's thinking that. No one in their right mind at 90 years old is thinking that. Why wouldn't they? God promised. And now they get to partake and be witnesses of God's faithfulness. And God's never failing promises to be fulfilled. He's going to fulfill it. But think about this, how, how incredible that God has called them to call their son Isaac. In the Hebrew language, it means laughter or he laughs. I love that. Because it's a reminder of her laughter of unbelief at what point in her life. And now she's now laughing a completely different reason. And just laughing with joy because God fulfilled the promise of the son. And his name will remind them of God's promises being fulfilled every day. Now, God does the same thing for you and I. He'll give us promises. He fulfills those promises. And many times there's a name to it. There's an event to it. There's something that reminds you of what God has done. I mean, children, if, not, if that's not the most best example for you and I, every time you look at your children, you see the, uh, the fulfillment of a promise or a gift from God to you. The question you have to ask yourself, do you, did you deserve to have a gift from God called children? Did, did Abraham earn this gift? Did Sarah earn this gift? Can they sit there and say, hey, we've been really faithful in our walk with you, God. Of course you're going to bless us like this. No, she had unbelief. They questioned all kinds of things in their lives. They made some really bad mistakes. They were lying and having to be rebuked by a pagan king. I mean, it was not a pretty picture of a man who was a, a, a man of faith. But... Fulfillment of that promise is not based upon our faithfulness. Not Abraham's faithfulness. Not his perfect spiritual walk. It was based upon God's word. And he was going to fulfill that. And we see it played out here. But then we see not only the highs, the joys, the 
the blessings. But now we see here in this next few verses here, life's sorrows and problems that can come. And we see here in verse 8, so the child grew and was weaned. Some believe, you know, you're age 12 when you get weaned off, meaning your mother's no longer providing that breast milk. Some say five. I believe here, based on the research, it indicates Isaac was as young as he was three years old when he was weaned off his mother. So if he was three years old and we see that he was weaned off, we see that he was at that age, that toddler age, that young little out-of-control little boy, barely walk and then running and banging into walls. You know, you can only imagine what Isaac was like back in those days. Tent stake in the way, you know, and running in the door, in the stake post, you know. But we see that in verse, the second part of 8, that Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And in verse 9, Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, scoffing. So here's Ishmael. He's now at an age about, if you calculate it, about, because uh, Ishmael was born 14 years prior, plus the three years winning up, about 17 years of age. And I know as parents, you can, you can see this 17-year-old bigger brother messing with the little boy, the little brother, three years old. Now, that may not happen with the big brothers here messing with the sisters or brothers, but it does happen with the big brothers with the little brother and messing with them. And Sarah takes note that this, this strife, this scoffing that was taking place within the household. And so we see here that she goes to Abraham and says, Hagar, this Egyptian, and this, the, the son, they've got to go. They've got to go. They can no longer live here. Because they notice this conflict that Ishmael is bringing about to Isaac. It wasn't Isaac. It wasn't the Isaac messing with the big brother. It was actually Ishmael messing with Isaac. When a scoffing. If you would please turn over to Galatians chapter, chapter 4 for me. And I want you to look at what Paul says about this account. And it will make sense to you. Where this is playing out in God's plan. Find it here, Galatians chapter 4. Let's start with 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman and the other by a free woman. But he, Ishmael, who was of the bondwoman, was born according to the flesh, and he, Isaac, of the free woman, through promise, which things are symbolic, for these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar, for this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and it corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in the bondage with her, ch her children. But the, but the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all, which is referring to Sarah. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. And it was quoting out of Isaiah 54, 1 there. In verse 28, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who has born according to the flesh then persecuted him, who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. So nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. And chapter 5, verse 1, we continue here because it should be connected. And that is steadfast, therefore, in the liberty or grace 
by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage or what we refer to as slavery. So we see here this contrast between law and grace, between bondage and sin and slavery to a freedom and forgiveness and grace. And their two cannot go together. They don't go together. They can never go together. You cannot say you're living by grace but then live in the law. You can't be in the law and say you have grace. The law is no longer because there's a new covenant that Jesus Christ brought about by going to the cross and giving us a covenant of grace. See, in Galatians 4, we see these Jewish legalists who troubled the Galatians in their walk in grace. They were trying to always bring them back into the law. And these legalists were constantly saying to the Galatians, protesting that they were children of Abraham, therefore blessed because of that. But Paul admitted that they were children of Abraham. That wasn't what he was questioning. But they were like Ishmael, not Isaac. They were still in bondage under the law and not free under Isaac. The legalists claimed Abraham as their father. Again, Paul did not disagree with that. But he was asking, yes, Abraham's your father, but who's the mother? You are acting like you're the mother of the Hagar, which is under a bondwoman, under slavery, under the, under the law, versus under Sarah, which is the promise or grace. That's what Paul's trying to debate or argue or at least bring to light for them to understand because Ishmael was born of a slave under the flesh. He should never have happened. But because Sarah and Abraham took the matter into their hands because they weren't willing to wait and for the promises of God, they sat there and made an arrangement to have a, a relationship with the maidservant Hagar. But that was about the flesh. That wasn't about the spirit of God, the promises of God. But Isaac was the born of a free woman. It was born according to the promises of God. But that's what happens with legalists. They're always promoting this relationship with God based on a bondage and according to the flesh. And not through the true gospel of grace, which offers liberty in Christ Jesus. As promised is received by faith. <coughs> Excuse me. Even as Ishmael and his descendants have persecuted Isaac and his descendants all of these years. We should not be surprised. We should not be surprised by the modern day people who follow God in the flesh and persecute those who follow God in faith through the promise. You see that today. People who think you and I who live in grace, by grace and in liberty in Jesus Christ, we should be living a certain way and acting a certain way and dressing a certain way and, and doing certain things of tradition, of law. But we have liberty in grace. And that's why he says in verse 10, Therefore she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son. For the son of this bondwoman shall not inherit with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter very was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. Sarah's like, Abraham, this just can't happen. Flesh cannot dwell. When you're in liberty, when you, you've come by grace, you have to cut off anything of the flesh. You cannot bring the old life in, the mistakes and all the other things. You cannot bring it into your new life. You must cut it off. Here we see the very sad example of the sad consequences of his forgiven sins. Abraham is reaping consequences here from his forgiven sins. 
If you remember, earlier in chapter 16, Sarah mistreated Hagar. Told Hagar and the son to get out. <clears throat> Even it was her plan. It was her plan. But the problem is, is once that Hagar had that child, she then used that against Sarah in putting her above Sarah. Like, look at me. I can provide Abraham a son, and you can't. And it just in that culture, that was women were looked down upon if they did not have a child. And she got really upset and chased her and the son out. But God had to intervene and say, no, 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 no. That's, timing is everything here. And, and that's not timing. Bring them back in here. And she accepted it. We, don't, we see it 14 years that, plus another three. We're talking 17 years here play, that she brought them back in and took care of them. And, and Abraham uh, you know, had his, his, his son. Abraham was 86 when Ishmael was born. Now he's 100. So here when Sarah says to Abraham, cast the bondwoman and her son out, can you imagine how immediately we see Abraham respond? It very much displeased him. It distressed Abraham. Does he listen to his wife? This is my son she's telling me to get rid of. I, should I listen to my wife hear this? She's kind of skewed on this whole situation. She has an agenda that she does, you know, on this whole thing. She can't, she can't just move on with the situation. Sometimes that happens in a marriage. where our wives speak into our lives about something that needs to change. The question is, what do you do with that? Do you just disregard it because it doesn't go against, it just displeases you and doesn't make you happy with the response? Or do you ask God what he thinks about what she just said to you? Is God using your wife in your life to refine you? I assure you, that's what God does. He brings you a spouse to refine you. Yes, man, it's always good. Right? That's what you're thinking, right? In your head, oh, God, you're so good. Thank you for my wife to really helping me to refine me. I, you're, just, you're the best God. I know that's what you're, all you men are thinking who are married. Amen. You know it. <laughs> but do you know something? The scripture doesn't say that Abraham immediately said, God is, my wife, this woman speaking into my life, is this what I need to be doing? Do I need to take heed of what my wife's telling me here? It doesn't say anything like that. But I love verse 12. But God showed himself anyway. But God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac, your seed shall be called. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because, she, because he is your seed. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread in, the, in a skin of water, and putting it on her shoulder, he gave it and the, and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Bathsheba. So we see here in the scripture that God intervened and said to Abraham, Yes, you need to be listening to Sarah because that's exactly what you have to do. God didn't want him to trust a backup. The, 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 you know, Ishmael is a backup just in case something happens to Isaac. He didn't have a contingency that he was trying to figure out. A backup plan just in case this doesn't work out. 
God wanted Abraham to trust him with all of his heart. Regardless of what you can see or not see. You must trust him. Because obviously, Abraham could have been at a point where he would have been tempted to reject Sarah's counsel. Why would I listen to my wife this time? Look what happened the first time I listened to her. And I ended up, you know, lying with Hagar. Look at what the problems we've been having ever since. But God made it very clear to him. You're to send them both out. Send them away. You got to go. Get rid of the son of the flesh. The flesh has got to go. Because if you don't get rid of the flesh... You do not get rid of that situation. That, that you, get rid of, you don't get rid of the past. It will come back to actually hurt you in the present. It will. You must, get, you must send it away. It cannot be part of your life anymore. Regardless of this, even though you may be depressed dis, over it, you might not like the situation, you may not want to do what you need to do, but you know when God says to do it, you need to what? Immediate obedience. Or you will face the consequences again. Because the flesh and the spirit cannot peacefully coexist. The, the, the battle between the spirit and the flesh is real every day. And you must die of that flesh. You must die of that self. Because if you don't, it will, cannot coexist. You're going to have a miserable life. You're going to have these such highs and such lows and roller coasters and corkscrews and upside down. And you're going to come to a point where you have no hope, no hope. It's a miserable life as a Christian. But if you would just cut off the flesh, get rid of the bondage, be be free, because you're already set free. He's already set you free. You just have to live it. You can't do anything. You just have to live it. And Abraham did. And yes, the bond woman and her son, out they went. And when she went out, she wandered with the son in the wilderness of Beersheba. Now, for some, you would automatically might think and say, how terrible, how ruthless and insincere and unloving is Abraham to, and Sarah to send them out into the wilderness. But that's exactly what God wanted and exactly what needed to be happened. Because one of the things, a couple of things you need to understand is that flesh and blood, blood and flesh do not make the strongest bond God wants us to honor. There are circumstances where we can do nothing other than put away family for the glory of God. There are times there's people in your life, even family, that are hindering you to be able to move on in your relationship and the promises and fulfillment of those promises that God has for you. You keep pulling the family that are bringing you down, and you must cut it off. God wants us to be this, this be ruthless against the flesh. Go to put it away. Galatians 5.24, And those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Not only family can hinder you, but your flesh and your passions can absolutely destroy you. You must cut it off, send it on its way. Because if it's not, it will scoff you, mock you. It will ultimately destroy you and everybody around. Listen to God's voice. Turn to him and let him help you. Because it's under his strength and his promises and ability to fulfill 
and be faithful to help you bring me through through this. A tremendous love he'll bring you through this if you just let him. Now what's interesting as we look at the scriptures, Abraham only gave Hagar and Ishmael some bread and some water. He had so many resources available to him. Why didn't he provide lambs and cattle and all kinds of servants to help her? I don't think God wanted Abraham to have any attachment to the flesh. It says right here in verse 15, and the water in the skin was used up. And she placed the boy under one of the shrubs, probably a small tree, provide the shade. Then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bow shot. Pull the bow out. Okay, I can see it from a distance, but not real clear exactly. For she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. Just wept. He's a 17-year-old boy. Appears to be dying of thirst. She can't handle the death of her son. Sets him under a tree and keeps a distance from a distance so she can't see it, but knows that he's probably right under that, that bush. What, what happens in that? Even at the lowest of lows, of sorrow, a huge problem they find themselves in. Look what happens here. Then in verse 17, God heard the voice of the woman? Of Hagar? No. God hears the voice of the lad, Ishmael. I believe that God, that God used Abraham to speak the truths of God into that young man's life. Even though we don't have the account of what Ishmael was doing, but all we know is that God heard the voice of the lad and he heard it. But why didn't he say, I heard your voice, Hagar? No, no, no. What does, that say? What does he say here? Then the angel of God, ah, Jesus, Yahweh, shows up again here and called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, what ails you, Hagar? What ails you, Hagar? So I see that and I see a woman who is in anguish and sorrow and, and crying and screaming out and in anguish of what is about to happen to her son. And there's lifting and weeping, all kinds of weeping. But it appears from my perspective when I read this, God is saying, but she wasn't talking to me. She was doing a lot of weeping. She was doing a lot of yelling. But I didn't hear it. All I hear, I'm going to say to her is, what ails you, Hagar? Why didn't you talk to me? Versus just screaming and crying out into, into air. Why aren't you crying out to me? But then he calls her. Fear not. For God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Why didn't God, I believe, why didn't God hear or she wasn't calling out to God? It's because fear was consuming her. Fear will consume a person. It will paralyze you. It will blind you to what God is doing. How do I know that? Watch. Watch, watch what God says to him or to, to her. I didn't, he didn't say, I heard your voice. He says, to Hagar, 
I hear the voice of the lad where he is. The bow throw away, bow throw shot, bow, bow shot away. I, I hear him. But look at, arise, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Here's a promise from God himself to Hagar to give her hope because she had no hope. When you find yourself where you have no hope, listen, God is going to give you a promise to give you hope. And we see it here. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. So God was with the lad and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness or the desert and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. When fear grips you, you become paralyzed. You can become blinded to what God promises and fulfillment or to protection or provision for you through the situation. She was blinded to the fact that there was a well of water, a living water, right there for her to partake and for her son. And it shows God's protection upon them during this desert experience. God heard the cry or the voice of the Lord. And once he spoke to Hagar, and Hagar is coming out of that, he reveals and brings away, fear not. Takes, her, takes that fear away from her by his, his word. Just fear not. And when that happens, her eyes now become open to be able to see what is really happening here. What really what God's purpose is in this delay or this situation, this, these life's sorrows, these life's problems. Now your, open, your eyes are open. You can actually see what God is intended to do. That God was always there. God was always, has always been right there protecting you through those moments. Those times of uncertainty. Times you were questioning. Times where you feel like you have no hope. Times where you think you can run, but you can't run. And you know you shouldn't run. But they find themselves God opening the eyes providing that living water, that well of water for them to be able to partake and they were able to drink and to be refreshed by that living water. If you find yourself today really dried up, parched, thirsty, to a point where you think you're you, you just, death is the next step for you. Because you have no hope. Come to the living water. Come back to his word. Let him refresh you. Let him rejuvenate you. Let bring life back into you. Partake of what he's going to give you. He's right there. Cry out to him. Weep to him. Just make sure it's to him. Not to the person to your left and your right and your coworkers and anyone else who will listen. But do you go to God and weep and cry? Because he's listening. And he wants to help you as a child of his. And yes, they dwelt in the wilderness, the desert of Paran, which is that northeast portion of the Sinai Peninsula. And we see God working in the life of even Ishmael and Hagar. 
and he gives her a promise, he will be a great nation. We see that played out today as clear as can be. That nation is the Arabic people. That is who, that's the great nation that uh, God said was the promise. The Arabic nation is exactly who the people are he's referring to. But then we see life's joys and blessings, life's sorrows and problems, but that will all play out in life's testimony, as we will see here in these remaining verses. And it came to pass at the time that Abimelech and uh, Pichol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham, saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring or with my my prosperity, or what it refers to as future generations, but that according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will do to me and, and to the land in which you have dwelt. And Abraham said, I will swear. So we see here in the journey here a testimony that God has brought in the life of Abraham and Sarah. We see Abimelech, again, that Palestinian king. It's a title. Now, is it the same Abimelech as in chapter 20? Or is it a new king that replaced him and has the title of Abimelech now? We don't know. I lean toward the fact that it's the same king as we saw in chapter 20, only because of the verses here that I think leads me to believe that. It could be either or. It doesn't matter. But the fact is, is that here's Abimelech and a commander of the army, Pichol here, who is looking at the life of Abraham, and he says to them in 20, verse 22, God is with you in all that you do. These non-believers, these pagans, are looking at these believe, this believer of faith in God of Almighty and says, I see your life, and I know that God is with you, and you are absolutely God with you in all that you do. Because even the pagans said that's almost, how, 90, you got a baby? And look at the blessings and all the things going on. It's a testimony. Even with all the highs and the lows, this still brought a testimony to, in the eyes of the people who were watching. And think about this. Where in 23, these, these leaders come to him to, to form a covenant, a bond, a, a, an agreement that says, we're not going to mess with each other anymore. We're going to live peacefully right here in the land. We're going to have no problems, right? And he even calls Abraham. This is why I believe it's the same Abimelech. He says, you will not deal falsely with me, right? If it's the same Abimelech, you're not going to lie to me like you did before about, your, about Sarah being your sister, right? You're, you're not going to play any games and, and, you know, we're going to be honest, right? And you're going to be honest with me, but also when I'm gone, you're still going to be honest with my offspring and all of my future generations, right? You're going to be real cool on this, right? So we see this, and he says, I've been dealing with kindly, kindly with you. I haven't really, I haven't messed with you at all. Will you just do that with me as well? Just deal, just dwell with us in, there's not going to be conflict? But look what happened here. Abraham said, yes, I swear, absolutely. Abraham's integrity is on the line here. He's telling the truth. He's not messing around. I swear to the God Almighty that I worship, absolutely no problem. But look what happens in verse 25. Immediately then, Abraham rebuked Abimelech because of a well of water, which Abimelech's servants had seized from Abraham. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor did, had I heard, it, heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the, and the two of them made a covenant. And Abraham sent seven lambs of the flock by themselves. Then Abimelech asked Abraham, what is the meaning? Of these seven ewe lambs which you have set by themselves. 
So we sit here. Yes, I swear. I, I agree. But wait a minute. Your guys came and took my well. I dug that well. That well was for, for my tribe and for my people, for my animals. And they came and seized it from me. And you said we're supposed to deal kindly here. You told me not to deal falsely here. We said we're going to have a covenant here. And I swear we'll do that. But hey, we've got to make something right here. King is really cool. The king says, wait, 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 wait. I didn't know anything about this. I didn't know my people wouldn't seize your, your well. You didn't even come and complain to me about this. Why didn't you come tell me? Nor did I even hear it through the rumorville that my people actually took your well. So I didn't know anything about this. We'll make this right. And you see that Abraham gives over some, uh, some animals to show a peace offering. Okay, we'll make this right. You're the king. You're, this is your land. I'm going to do it, honestly. But then he goes above and beyond, and he completes the deal. He completes the deal with seven. He completes the deal with seven of the huge lambs to show I'm giving more than I need to, but I want to complete this. I don't want any more, any more issues going forward. And he does it. And he gets restored. Abimelech, the king, says, what is the meaning of this? Why did you do this? He says, I want this to be a witness that it was the well I dug. My people dug this well. It's ours. And I want to make sure this is all clean in our covenant and our arrangement. And, and, and this uh, secure this this." Legal right to the dwelling within this land that we're having a covenant with. We want to deal with it. We want to land in peace. We want to legally understand that it's my well. This is my stuff. This is what I'm dealing with. And that moving forward, and we're going to be cool with this. And then he completes it. Then Abraham planted a Tamarisic tree in Beersheba. And there called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. This is significant in the fact that now Abraham is recognizing a peaceful, secured life. There is balance in his life. There is goodness in his life. He plants a tree to show there's life and there's a, I'm planting roots here. I'm not going to come into a place. I'm not going to live the way God wants me to live and not place and, and, and establish roots where God has planted me. Because that's what a tree does. If you go back to Ezekiel 3.10, you'll see the scripture there talks about the planting of a tree, the planting of bringing peace and security in one's life. It's a symbol of that. The dwelling of one's tree. Abraham is saying, this is where I find life. This is what God has, has for me. This is that, that deepening of his faith and security in what God has done in his life and what he's doing. And that, yes, we'll have this, this Israel's future peaceful coexistence in the land with other tribes. That will be the case moving forward. And that's what God has and what God's plan. But you see at the very end, Abraham turns and he worships God. He called out in the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. The God who is faithful to his promises. A God who can take one's life and bring it into balance. Amen?